Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hi, welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. I'm Rain Wilson. And I am Rain's co-host, Reza Aslan. That's how it should be, Rain's co-host. But listen, co-host, I'm a little worried about you. What? Why? Well, I just want you to know that I'm always here to talk if you need a shoulder to cry on. Okay. Well, that's very sweet. I'm touched by that, but I'm fine. I'm I'm totally fine. Are you? Are you really? You poor, pathetic, sad clown. Are you? <laughs> Don't. I am not. Wait. Why would you call me a sad clown? I am not a sad clown. Well, I read one of your tweets the other day. I thought it was hilarious. Like, LOL. Funny. Yeah, that's because I'm I'm a very witty guy. People know that. I write funny things. Well, it is funny. It's a little too funny, frankly. And like all court jesters, you're clearly screwed up inside. Okay. All right. I'm not screwed up inside. I know what you're doing. Just stop. Wait, okay? wait, wait. You don't think no. I know what that is? <laughs> I'm one of the funniest character actors since David Schwimmer by sheer accident. I'm sorry, David Schwimmer. What? <laughs> who wrote this stuff? Who wrote what you, this? Who is this? This, what? this is this is terrible. This script we're reading off this banter was written by our producer DJ Lubell. DJ, get over here. Oh, hi, DJ. DJ. Hi, Rain. Hi, Reza. Did you write this? Yeah, I, I, I did write it, and I got to be honest. I don't. I, I think it was the performance that, quite frankly, wasn't funny. Are you kidding me? People don't know this about our producer, DJ Lubell. Uh, apparently, you, you were, what, some kind of funny person in a previous life? Is that a, is that true? Yeah, I mean, listen, I've written for a bunch of comedy shows. I've sold a couple pilots. I, I like to think I'm a funny person. This is really interesting because I've always, for some reason, thought of you as a sad person. Like a sad clown? I didn't say sad clown. Yeah. DJ, are you a sad clown? I mean, some of my com some of my conversations with you guys is self-deprecating. I mean, I make fun of myself a little bit, but no, I'm overall a pretty happy person. I don't know why you would say that. Well, look, this is actually, I mean, it's okay, DJ. Like if you like you don't have to be embarrassed, you know. I mean, a lot of so-called funny people are actually sad on the inside. That's it's a it's a trope. I think you need to let it out, DJ. If you really want to be honest, you know, I'm I'm a middle child. Um, 
my brother was is very smart. My sister is very beautiful. And I was just sort of like this nerdy accountant looking kid. And I guess I used comedy as a, a defense mechanism and as a, as a means of armor to protect me, I guess. See, now that's funny. That's funny because yeah. it's true, Reza. Because funny it's true. It's true. Right. Maybe, okay. maybe a little bit more, you know, patheticness and some more like, you know, open tragedy. I think, I think that would be good for your, for your career. Certainly our, our scripts would be funnier. So you're saying you want me to just be really, really sad to make your scripts funnier, have a miserable life just for the 14, 15 seconds of the intro. I mean, I'm miserable. That, that seems a little bit extreme, just sad, sad. But listen, folks, uh, we kid, we, we wanted to introduce you to our wonderful producer, DJ LaBelle, if that's how you pronounce his name, who is both profound and funny and delightful. And thank you for keeping our show humming along the way you do. And this topic is near and dear to you, right, DJ? Yeah. I mean, listen, I love comedy. I, I've, I've written for a bunch of really funny people and I just, it's, it's everything to me. So the fact that you guys are discussing comedy. With one of the great comedians of the modern era? Who do, who do we have? Tig Nataro. Oh my God. Holy shit, I love Tig Nataro. This is fantastic. And who better to talk about whether laughter is the best medicine? I mean, we're talking about a primetime Emmy and Grammy nominated uh, actress, uh, one of the funniest people on the planet. Uh, she's on Star Trek. I mean, I've never known anyone on Star Trek. This, it's like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It's fantastic. I, I'm, I couldn't be happier. She uh, really broke open uh, in the comedy world when she did an infamous comedy routine about her survival of both breast cancer, which happened at approximately the same time as the death of her mother. Um, if you get a chance to listen to that, it's somewhere on the YouTubes. It's absolutely brilliant. And of course, she's got her own podcast because by law, every person on earth has to have a podcast. Hers is called Don't Ask Tig, and it's funny and good. Tig. Hi, Tig. Hi. This is so exciting. Like, you have to understand that um, I don't really know any celebrities, and so it's very exciting to have hey, you here. Hey, hey, hey. Well, you don't you don't count that much, Rain. I mean, like I'm a, like half a celebrity. Anyway, all of this is to say that it's very exciting, very exciting to have you here. Well, I'm very happy to be here. We're having this whole conversation, Rain and I were talking about. Everyone's always like, "Oh, laughter's the best medicine," and and the tears of a clown, and mm -hmm. uh, you know how tragedy plus time equals comedy, and all these cliches that we hear over and over again. And we thought, um, since I'm not very funny, Rain not very funny, um, we should have somebody funny, and um, and you're funny, so thank I you. Guess, yeah, there you go. So I guess my first question is, when did you know you were funny? Like, how did that come about when you suddenly were like, you know what, maybe I'm funny? Well, I, I think I come from a funny family. And so it was just kind of part of my life. And, um, and a lot of characters are in my family. And, uh, but I do remember the first time where I really got a, <laughs> a kick out of myself. <laughs> I was at lunch. I think I was in first grade and a friend of mine was going to open her bag of Fritos 
And the little Fritos bag was upside down. And I remember saying, oh, um, you better turn the bag right side up or else you're going to be eating upside down Fritos. Oh, boom. Yeah. Did it kill at the lunch table? No. And this this was like a couple of years ago, right? This was two years ago today. Yeah. (laughs) So a while back for Soul Pancake, which also helps produce this podcast, I did a a short documentary called Laughing Matters about the connection between comedy and mental health. And in it, Sarah Silverman said, 100% of comedians become comedians because somewhere in their childhood, they needed to be funny in order to survive. And I thought that was such a great quote. Is that true for you? Um, I think it has definitely helped my survival, but I think there's also... Um, something to being, like I was saying, raised in a, in a, I think both things were happening. Mm. I was raised in a very, uh, funny environment. And I think it, it was easy to, I am very influenced by my mother. Mm. I mean, she was the, I mean, she was the famous funny one in the family. Uh, and I mean, not actually famous, but she was the funny one. And as, as life went on, there were certainly some horrible things and my sense of humor was very helpful. But I, I think that's what I feel like with my life, but I do think that what Sarah says or said does apply to a lot or most and maybe all. I mean, I, I have no idea. So you'd say your was your childhood really well balanced then? You didn't need comedy as some kind of survival mechanism. It was more just kind of grokking your mother's incredible sense of humor that was in No, that's what I was saying is I was raised in a uh very funny family and environment, but also there was horrific stuff Ah. that I I think that my sense of humor was helpful Mm. in uh, navigating and getting me through. Did your family use humor to deal with those kinds of things? I mean, when you look back on it now, obviously, I mean, it's different when you were a kid because, you know, you don't really know what the hell is going on. But when you kind of think back on those, those dark times, do you have a memory of um, you know, the, the family, this funny family that you came from using humor in order to, I don't know, sort of get through those times or to even sometimes just turn away from them? No doubt. I mean, for sure. Even now when I talk to, I was talking to a really great, hilarious comedian earlier today. And I'm always surprised when I find out when comedians still feel like they can't say certain things. They might hurt their parents' feelings or a sibling. And uh, I just don't have that. I mean, to to be fair, both of my parents are dead at this point, but I do have a stepfather still. And I have a brother and I can't imagine. Like censoring yourself. Especially that was like comedic that they would be like, oh, you took that too far, (laughs) Uh Uh you know? 
But also my stepfather's favorite comedian is Sarah Silverman. So, Well, there you have it. So you've talked before about, uh, in an interview we looked at, about your mother's comfort with discomfort. And mm -hmm. I love that phrase because I remember, Tig, I, I don't know you terribly well. We've crossed paths here and there. We both were on Star Trek Discovery. The first time I, I met you, Tig, I don't know if you remember this, I asked you out of the blue, would you drive to Riverside, California and do some comedy uh, at, a, at a comedy benefit for uh, a, a friend of mine for a breast cancer uh, a nonprofit? And I'll never forget, um, I don't remember the exact words that you used, but you're, there was a, a, um, a very interesting woman in the front. I think they were getting drunk on like white wine spritzers or something like that. And sure. maybe her name was like Barbara or something like that. And you, you just went in, kind of sat on the edge of the stage and you were very close to her, like three feet from her. And you were looked in her eyes and you were like, Barbara, Barbara, Barbara. And it was so so colossally uncomfortable and wrong. Like, no, <laughs> you're not supposed to do this. Comedians aren't supposed to be three feet from someone gazing in their eyes and pausing interminably. And my wife was there with me and the entire audience, the backstage howling laughter for 15 minutes as you interacted with Barbara. I forget what you did, but, and it was so delicious, completely improvised. And I, that, as soon as I read that quote about your mother's comfort with discomfort, I was remembering you and Barbara in Riverside, California. Can you tell me more <laughs> about that? I don't know what it, it, it really is so influenced by my mother. I, I think I was just, I was always watching, my mother is very into Gilda Radner and hmm. Lucille Ball and uh, Joan Rivers and, um, uh, uh, I, I watched everything she watched. I wanted to be my mother, you know, that, uh, yeah, I just, I was like, I was so enamored with her and, uh, the way she did things and the way she walked in a room and the way she interacted with people and the shocking things she said. And, and, um, and one of the things she always told me was, if anyone has a problem with me, just tell them to go to hell. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question right, but I am thinking about my mother's funeral. Actually, when I was speaking at it, I was there was a priest standing next to me, and it wasn't. We were in small town Mississippi, my hometown, my mother's hometown, and it wasn't like the family priest. It was just a priest in the area. And I was talking about that side of my mother and how she just owned it and she wanted me to. And, and, um, and I said, you know, she would tell me to tell everyone to go to hell. And, and I thought, and I was verbalizing at my mother's funeral, how I was concerned about talking about this because the priest is standing a couple of feet away <laughs> to my left. And then I said at her funeral, I can, I can imagine telling my mother, well, I don't know if it's appropriate to talk about all of these um, elements of your personality and how you would tell me to tell everyone to go to hell because the priest is standing here. And then I could hear my mother saying, 
Well, if the priest has a problem with it, then he can go to hell. <laughs> and um, and I, when I said that at my mother's funeral, the priest started cracking up. And it was such <laughs> an honest laugh that he had. And it was like, it was that moment of it was it was uncomfortable and it was um, but it was just kind of having faith and in, in hanging hanging on a on the edge of a moment and um, and I feel like that's what I watched my mother do and and you know you more th- more often times than not you live through that <laughs> you know. Rain, uh, I just got this Comatier coffee uh, in the mail. Have you tried this thing yet? Yes, it is uh, a delicious. I'm telling you, this stuff provides this pour-over quality coffee without any of the fuss or the mess or the excess time. Comatier sources their coffee from the world's best locally owned specialty coffee roasters. Their coffee-obsessed team has developed a new way to extract all the nuances and aromas from each bean to produce a phenomenal brew with one-tenth of the water. Comatier arrives frozen. You just add six to eight ounces of hot water to the frozen capsule. For iced coffee, you just let the capsule melt completely and pour the rich liquid over ice, water, or milk. Now you can make lattes and cappuccinos without an espresso machine. We got a special offer for you just for our listeners for a limited time. You can save 20 bucks off your first order. That's 10 free cups. It tastes just like that fancy pour over coffee that you get at your coffee shop on your first order. And the shipping is always free, but only when you visit comateer.com slash milkshake20. That's C-O-M-E-T-E-E-R.com slash milkshake 20. Look, I'll be honest. I was skeptical about Cometeer coffee at first. I mean, I'm like frozen coffee. That's weird. But I'm telling you, it is truly one of the best, if not the best cup of coffees I've ever had. So if you like coffee at all, if you're like me and Rain, you're a coffee lover. I'm telling you, this is a taste to believe product. That's Cometeer.com slash milkshake 20. You're going to save 20 bucks on your first order. Folks, a new day has arrived on Earth for coffee. Hey, folks. If you're on a mission to be the best gift giver ever this year, it's never too early to start crossing off your list. So whether you're shopping for mom or dad or teenagers or in-laws or your best friends or your neighbors or your neighbor's dog, Uncommon Goods makes it easy to find remarkable and truly original gifts for anyone. Uncommon Goods wants your holiday season to be stress-free. So check out their selection of literally thousands and thousands of items today. You know, I have all these nieces and nephews and I don't know what to buy my nieces and nephews. So I went on Uncommon Goods. I kind of punched in their age range and I found so many cool things. I bought my niece this, uh, this like karaoke microphone that she loves. It's just like, look, if you're somebody who doesn't know what to get as a gift, the Uncommon Goods just kind of curates all these great gifts depending on the age that you're looking for, the gender that, that you need. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the United States. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. So to get your 15% off your next gift, 
Go to uncommongoods.com slash milkshake. This is 15% off, folks. Uncommongoods.com slash milkshake for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer, Uncommon Goods. We are all out of the ordinary. See, this is really fascinating because uh, I love I love your, your stand-up and your performances, and so much of it is about being comfortable with discomfort, right? Talking about uh, like your cancer diagnosis, you know, the death of your your mother, you know, just being very open and willing to make the audience squirm if necessary. Um, and then sort of hitting them right at that moment, you know, with, with the punchline. Um, and it, I wonder like how much, it, because part of that, performance, part of how, you know, you do the things that you do, I think is baked into um, what humor actually is, what laughter does for us, right? There's all this study and research about how the purpose of laughter, evolutionarily speaking, um, is precisely to break tension, right? There's this uh, Freud line. He says that humor is the highest of the psyche's defense mechanism. <laughs> and that evolutionarily speaking, the reason, you know, that we laugh, the reason that there are, you know, jokes and, and humor and stuff like that is because it turns anxiety into pleasure, right? So in those moments of tension between two people or between two communities or whatever the case may be, when it could lead to something ugly, that we're primed to laugh at, at the smallest thing. And what that does is it releases the tension. It keeps us from, you know, bopping each other over the head with whatever club we have. Uh, and, and we continue to evolve as, as human beings. And so much of that uh, I see in your sort of stand-up and in your performances. And, and, it, and it comes from your mother, I guess. I, I believe so. I mean... I really, I have so many influences, but I would say she is by far, or she was by far the the biggest. It's become a kind of cliche, this whole thing about um, the intersection between comedy and darkness and, and you know, their entire documentaries and books written about um, comics or funny people who were actually masking, you know, great darkness or sadness. Um, and... I just wonder, like, you know, do you feel as though that is something that's necessary? Like, is mental struggle something that is necessary to truly be funny? And in, in, in the kind of funny, what I mean, the kind of funny in that involves really making connections with, um, you know, an audience and with people. I don't think so at all. I think it's one way of connecting with people. Um but I also don't, I just don't, you know, a lot of people do feel like, oh, comedians are, are depressed or they, they're dark or they're toxic or they're miserable or um, all of those things. And it is true for pl plenty of them. But the majority of people alive on this planet are toxic or depressed, <laughs> miserable. Uh, all of those things, uh, your family members, your next door neighbors, your, the mail carrier, 
Um, and then, you know, people talk about musicians or, or painters or poets mm -hmm. that they're, they're all miserable suffering and artists, they're suffering. Yeah. And it's like, they are expressing themselves publicly. So that's why they seem like they are. And it's also, I think, frequently about um, the, the idea that rock stars always die in plane crashes. <laughs> it's like, no. Just a good one. No, yeah, sure. But also a lot of dentists die in plane crashes. It's tragic. It's tragic, <laughs> but they're not public figures. Yeah. So if we started clocking every dentist that died in a plane crash, we would be like, oh, gosh, I hope dad, my dad's a dentist. He's about to go on a flight. This is, I'm scared every time he flies. You know, it's just when you're a public figure, what you're doing or how you're dying or you know what I mean? It's like um, I totally get it. The counterpoint to that, and I don't disagree, actually, the counterpoint to that is. You know, there are these studies, like there was this 2014 study uh, that was done that found that comedians don't live as long as less funny people, which, first of all, I think that's hilarious. I think it's funny that like uh, some some like researcher somewhere <laughs> was like, I'm going to divide my test subjects into funny and not funny and then figure out <laughs> who dies first. So comedians that are less popular live a little bit longer. <laughs> So there was a study in 2014, and it was a study of comedians and circus clowns. And apparently this study, which was about comedians and circus clowns, found that uh, comedians and circus clowns uh, tend to be more um, self-critical and negative towards themselves than people who, again, people who are not funny, even people who are performers but who aren't. Uh, comedic performers. And then there was this other guy, this is a, a Oxford psychologist named Gordon Claridge. And he did it, by the way, who are these people who keep doing these studies on comedians? Well, I, I wanted to talk about old Gordon Claridge, our friend, retired University of Oxford psychologist. He studied comedians and he found that they have, they seem to have two com competing personality traits introverted anhedonia, an inability to feel pleasure, and extroverted impulsiveness, and which is similar to actors. So they were asocial and a little emotionally flat, often suffering from clinical mm -hmm. depression, but at the same time, that part of their personality split with their impulsive extroverted tendencies, and that this kind of dichotomy inherent inside them perhaps gave them a funny perspective on the world. And I wanted to talk about that because I'll just share personally for me. I'm Now, I'm not a stand-up like Tig, and I, I really admire stand-up comics. I, am, I do not have the ability to write jokes and tell stories in such a way where I can captivate an audience for 20 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour and a half or what have you. I don't have those skills. I just play weird characters. But um, some of the characters I've played have, been considered funny. And I do, for me, I think I so didn't fit in as a, as a child that, and I so longed to fit in that the source of the comedy that I'm able to find and the characters that I play uh, is that kind of disconnect between a longing to fit in and an inability to fit in. And that 
just kind of milking my natural awkwardness. So I want to applaud Gordon because I, I, I would feel that, yeah, I'm, I suffer from depression. I can be a little uh, emotionally flat and I can also be impulsive. I think he kind of described me. Uh, can you relate to any of this, Tig, or does this, the, this shoe doesn't fit? No, it, it certainly does. Um, I've, I've had depression at different points in my life. Um, more so when I was, I would say a teenager and, um, early twenties. Um, but I've had bouts of not feeling great emotionally, but what I really relate to is my mother, not my mother, (laughs) but Stephanie, my wife, she jokingly, she had read somewhere that I don't know if it was my birth sign or something in the stars that described my personality. Um, a, a, a way to describe me, the opposite way to describe me is, yeah, this can wait. Um, and so uh, anytime I do something and I do it quickly after I decide, I'm very like, here's what I'm thinking. And then I move, I make a move. She always says, yeah, this can wait. Um, so I don't know. I guess that's, you know, along the lines of impulsive. Well, is that part of the, cause the other thing that this, uh, this Oxford, uh, um, dude said is that comedy then becomes a form of self-medication for people who do it for a living, right? That it's like, it's part of the healing process. And you've actually talked about this too. You know, when, when you started talking, uh, in your standup routine about, your cancer diagnosis. I mean, you—you you would. I, I'd read somewhere that you had talked about that as a kind of um, like self-medication, like a way to to connect with the audience and create a kind of community to be understood, um, in a sense. You know, to feel less isolated, less alone in in that moment. So that that that's kind of self-medication, isn't it? There have been times in my life, whether it's having cancer or, or losing somebody, uh, close to me and having to do a show. And just for that moment in time, being able to feel just a little better for a a little while. And, uh, and then of course you go back to reality and it's, uh, it's exactly where things left off but but yeah it's 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 a drug that carries you through about an hour mm-hmm. hour and a half pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Well, what's even, I think what's even more fascinating about it is that it's not, like, it's not fake. I think, it's, I think maybe some people would say, oh, sure, you laugh about something because you don't want to face it or you don't want to deal with it. Um that it's, you know, a way of, of ignoring um, any kind of trauma or tragedy. But that's not what the research shows. The research shows that it actually does lessen the tragedy, like the ability to laugh at something, particularly in a group, right? The ability to take a tragedy or even actually it can be any sort of immoral behavior of any kind as well as a tragedy, that joking about it in a group actually can sort of remove some of the tragic elements out of it because what it does is it says to the to the group that um we all share the same point of view right that that we're that we're kind of united by a common way of looking at this particular thing you know and it could be you know, heart, like it could be a horrifying thing that we're all laughing about, but the laughter does have the ability to actually lessen the trauma and the tragedy. It's not just our imagination. Like it's not just this ephemeral thing where for a little while you feel good about it, but it's not, it hasn't changed anything. I mean, the, the research shows that it actually does change things. I, I believe that it changes things. I think it's also like... um there's something to what I've been trying to learn with comedy is in my relationship, when there's any sort of tension, we make a joke to break the tension and it's helpful because it creates a connection and allows us to talk about something. And I think that that's kind of what needs to happen with the follow through um, after you you get that little rush Mm -hmm. with the laughter is that you have to kind of do that follow through that is another level of, of working on things. Cause like in, in, in a marriage, you can't just have tension or in a friendship have tension and make a joke and then laugh at the joke and then never go back to the issue. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I recently produced this uh, little video where it, the whole idea is about climate change and it's for the TED conferences and they're doing a conference on climate change. And so I asked comedians this question, is there any comedy to be mined from climate change? Is there anything funny about climate change? And Tig, you were a part of this and had a really, a uh, couple of funny, really great observations in your inimitable style. And, um, but it's interesting because the seven minute video ends up being really moving and and kind of affecting and sad. And yes, it's funny throughout, but watching these great comedians struggle, you know, Conan O'Brien or Al Madrigal or Ed Helms, just struggle to uh, find something funny about climate change and, and uh, these feeble attempts at jokes. Um, it, 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 it really is uh, uh, way more affecting than watching uh, some kind of lecture about climate change. Uh, so I hope that this video 
once we get it all finished and get it out into the world, uh, affects people. But what was it like for you trying to make a joke about climate change, first of all? And, you know, are there things that are not funny or things that we should not joke about? I know those are two very different topics. I am so uh, upset and terrified by climate change um, that, yeah, I don't find anything funny, but I think it's only because, um, I just haven't found the angle. However, I don't, I don't think there's anything out of bounds in comedy. And it's because you know, people get upset and say, oh, you can't. In fact, I had a podcast like a decade ago and there was a guest that came on and he was talking about how cancer was not funny and you can't make a joke about it. And I had already done my show and he was not familiar with me. And I was, I was saying, you so you're telling me you can't, there's no situation where you can make any sort of joke. He's like, no. I've lost people to cancer. I, and I was like, I understand. It's like, but is there, is there possibly an angle or a, a person or a way? And he's, no, absolutely not. And so that was like this amusing moment silently that I was having that I knew the listeners of my podcast would, would be having, you know, they'd enjoy hearing. But um, I feel like the problem is, like this guy was doing on my podcast, is imagining that it's ha ha you have cancer mm -hmm. that it's something it's something so obvious or stupid or um hacky whatever it is and they they're not allowing for the the comedian or the moment or the angle the perspective that would surprise you and come at it in a way that's not going to offend you. That's going to break the tension and, um, and make people laugh. I mean, their laugh might be, you know, accompanied by a face expression of like, Oh, <laughs> Oh uh -huh. no, you know, but it's the tension breaker. Like, like Freud said. Yeah. And, and I think it's not fair to assume what the angle is going to be. So everything that's going on today, TIG, mental health epidemic, we talked about climate change, political disunity and hatred, racism, income inequality. What's the role of the comic? Um, you know, I mean, throughout time, we've, you know, some of the greatest com American comedy came out of, you know, the disruptions, you know, of the, of the uh, you know, the Vietnam War, Richard Pryor dealt with racism. Um, Lenny, Bruce Lenny Bruce, yeah, kind of broke a lot of shibboleths about American culture in the fifties and sixties. Um, but today, it's just it's so daunting. Um, does does the comic play an important role in what's happening right now? I mean, always. I think their important role is to keep going and to keep the conversations going, to keep. Um, people engaged and, um, considering different points of view and, uh, but also 
allowing themselves and allowing comedy to evolve and and change and um i mean everything has to and uh i think that it's 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 like being on stage as a comedian you have to you can't run off stage when it gets hard you have to you have to keep going and you have to that didn't work you find a different angle and you 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 just keep going and i think that people are going to appreciate that more than than running off the stage the actual stage or the stage of life one of the um things that i had no idea doing the office was um just how much laughter meant to people. I just didn't really think about it. I was just like, well, I'll just play this weird character and get a good paycheck and hey, I can buy a house. Um, but so many years afterwards, you know, so many, so much gratitude and thanks for the laughter that the show provided and how healing that was. Like our, my parents were getting a divorce and this, mm -hmm. we watched your show and my you know, my sister was sick and we watched your show. I was really depressed and watched your show and it brought so much, so there's also that service component, isn't there? Yeah. And it's weird because I used to not really understand when people would say that I'd get off stage and they'd be like, oh, I have to tell you, you helped me through a really hard time. or And I'd be like, oh, cool. Thanks. You know, glad that, oh, I'm so glad. And I was, I was glad to hear it, but I didn't really think about it. I didn't really really think about that. And, um, and I think music does that for me. And when I went through a hard time and, um, and really relied on, on music, I, I thought about that and I was like, Oh, right. That really did help me through. Mm that time period. Mm. And, um, yeah, so it's, it is a real thing. And, and it's, it's nice to, to be doing something that is a service, you know, or of service to people. This is really just, uh, some help that I need to, cause rain has yeah. been completely useless in this. Like I, I can anyone make me a red shirt on Star Trek? Because I, I, I've tried Rain, but he's like, you know, he doesn't have a lot of power over there. I don't have a lot of pull. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid I don't either. See, see what you can do. Maybe the two of you together. I just feel like I would die so well. I would, I would, I mean. Let's do it just, right now. For those watching on YouTube, I'm yeah. uh, Tig, but, could you shoot Reza with a phaser? Yeah, I'll be, right now. I'll be like a bad, see, I'll be a bad alien. Let's see what happens. Hey, human. Pew, pew. See that? No, that's I mean, terrible. How could that's, you not hire yeah, me? Yeah, it would. I don't think people would take our recommendation on anything <laughs> again. And I want to say, and I know I told you this, Rain. I think over email, but my kids love The Office. They're five. They've loved it since they were three. What? <laughs> they have loved it since they were three. And Stephanie and I exactly the way you reacted we're both like what are they getting what what do they what is happening well tig every show we do a lightning round of life's big questions some absurd questions thrown in for good measure 
Uh, so we would like to hit you with some lightning round questions. Just respond first thing that comes into your head. Uh, what recharges your soul? I enjoy going home to Mississippi with my family. I love going home. What skill do you wish you had? Uh, I wish that I could play the piano. What is one eye-opening experience every person should have? Heartbreak. What's one thing you would change about yourself? I wish I had never smoked a cigarette. Name something a lot of people like, but you personally can't stand. Animal products. What book changed your life? You know, very recently I read a book called, um, and I loved it, and I highly, highly recommend it. It's called The Way of Integrity, hmm. and it is, it's so incredible. It's just really all about getting to the most honest point that you can get in your life. Uh, that sounds like a great book for Reza. Yeah. <laughs> I could definitely use some integrity. If you could have coffee with 15-year-old Tig Notaro, what would you tell yourself? I would say, you're not going to believe this, but you are going to be on what seems like the absolute wrong path for about 25 years. <laughs> And you are going to find that that wrong path was exactly the right path to drop you off in the perfect spot to begin the life that you will not even believe that you have, that you get to have. You won't believe it. Well, we talked about your awesome twins. What's one tip that you can give parents uh, that would help with their children's happiness? Well, you know, my stepfather um, didn't really take much of an interest in me, um, in my life, or understand me, or encourage me to do my passions and all of that kind of stuff. And then when my mother died, and he's a very reserved, buttoned up, pers buttoned up person. And when my mother died, he and I drove away from the cemetery in Mississippi and he was crying. And it was the first time in my life I'd ever seen him cry. Mm. And he said, and I was, I was stunned and he apologized for having never supported me or understood me or gotten to know me. And he said, because he had told me that I shouldn't do comedy, that I should get, you know, a real job and that I was wasting my intelligence. And it hurt my feelings, but he apologized for that after my mother's funeral. And he said, you know, I've, I've realized that it's not the child's job to teach the parent who they are. It's the parent's job to learn who their child is. Mm. And I was so blown away that that thought lived in his head or was born in his heart or soul. Like I couldn't even believe it, you know? And it's something that I try to remember with my children is I can have my ideas of what I think they're going to be or what I think I want, but they just have to tell me who they are. Here we are talking about comedy. 
and we have one of the world's most famous comedians on the show. And, and I'm, I feel like tears are welling up in my eyes. Um, what the hell is going on? What the fuck is going on? Well, blame it on my stepfather. Cause it was his, it's his words and his thoughts and his awakening, you know? And then finally, what is your life's big question? How do we let go? How do I let go? How do people let go? Will you come back on the show and we can do a life's big question on how do we let go? Yeah, I would love to. It's my, it's my, you know, it's every, it's, it's so helpful in every aspect of life. In, in a good way of like, you just got to let go. And then mm-hmm. you also like, I got to let go of this. You mm-hmm. know, it's like all of that. Like, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. Tignataro, thank you so much for uh, diving deep with us on the Milkshake team. This has been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I was very excited. And I, I think Max will have many questions about this, this experience that I just had. How great is Tignataro? Incredible conversation. Be honest with me. Was I? I was awestruck, wasn't I? I, I? I wasn't at my best. That was the most like starstruck I've ever seen you. It's weird. It's weird. There's something I just I just love you, her. You so were much. like a giddy schoolgirl meeting was. the monkeys in 1972. I was like Davy Jones. I love you, Davy. Mickey. Mike. Yes, I do know all the names of the monkeys. Davy, Mickey, Mike, Peter. Boom. Take that. But I was really struck at how uh, moving so much of uh, what she said was. It was really, uh, it really, uh, I was very touched, you know? And that's what's so interesting to me when you, when you, when you start to get into comedy, it actually starts to become very serious. I think there's something, there's a deep connection there between the stuff that makes us laugh is the stuff that makes us human, you know, and you can't separate the two when you're talking about the importance of comedy, the evolution of comedy, why we're funny, why we rely on comedy. We're getting to some really meaty, heavy human stuff. Yeah. And I, and I totally get where she's coming from with that whole point that she makes about how, you know, let's not make a big deal about the fact that comedians are particularly tragic people or that they are deeply, you know, sad people. We're all tragic. We're all sad. Your dentist is sad and depressing, but he just cleans teeth for a living. And I totally get that. At the same time, though, maybe what it is is that the drive to stand in front of an audience that's judging you, (laughs) right, Uh, that to, to then appear before them and to use something so profound uh, and and so effective as comedy in order to talk about tragic issues, the things that you're dealing with, the things that people are dealing with. Like there's a certain mindset, I think a certain psychology that's required to do that well. So maybe it's not just that like – sad people become comedians or like all comedians are sad, but maybe it's more that comedians have this ability because they themselves have learned how to self-medicate, right? With humor Mm. that they have the ability to like, you know, some kind of pharmacist to hand out that medication to everybody else, right? To make all of us feel better 
for a little while at least, or to at the very least look differently at, you know, the issues that we are we are facing, um, whether it is like race issues or climate or whatever the case may be, um, and to uh, tap in to that part of us that is looking for something to break the tension, right? You brought up earlier, and 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 I, and I love it when you bring up this concept of like evolutionarily, why is there humor <laughs> in our consciousness in the in the human psyche and character? Yeah. Why is there humor? Why is there just not? Humor. I mean, Wolverines don't have humor, right? <laughs> right. Like, and they're yeah. doing just fine. Yeah. I think. I think Wolverines are doing just fine. Somebody find out if how Wolverines are doing. But I think you know it. It helps us survive. It helps us survive. I think so. You know, it. it whatever it is, it breaks tension. It's a coping mechanism. It's a response to trauma. It connects us. It bonds us. It helped us survive. Maybe human beings would not yeah. be where we are today. <laughs> on the threshold of apocalypse <laughs> without humor. <laughs> and hopefully humor can carry us forward through some very assuredly difficult uh, decades and probably centuries ahead. What, what do you guys think, uh, dear listeners? I, look, we always end every one of these podcasts by asking you what you think. But uh, this time, honestly, I really, really want to know. Like, do you have a story about dealing with tragedy with humor. Do you have a story about how humor or laughter um, healed you? And I mean like literally healed you. I don't mean like made you feel good for a little while, but like fixed, you know, a, a problem. Do you have a story of um, going to see a comedian and and having, you know, your, your perspective changed? Let us know. Well, folks, as you know, we say it all the time. If you rate and review us and ask your life's big question uh, in the review uh, section uh, and we like your question, who knows? We might ask you to come on the pod and and uh, ask it to us directly. You get to meet uh, two equally famous celebrities, uh, Rain Wilson, uh, I believe, Actor, I think. Is that what you do, Rain? I Sometimes I forget. A little bit. I yeah. dabble occasionally when I'm not unemployed. This week, we got a really interesting one uh, from uh, a listener by the name of Luke Weeks, who's a real person and not just a fake villain on a CW show. So what's the question, Luke? I had a dream about three months ago, and I left this voicemail, that what if it was possible? What if we're viewing energy completely wrong? And what if the true way to travel uh, between galaxies is interdimensional? So ditch the uh, fossil fuels, ditch the um, traditional means, but an interdimensional way to travel. Just, just so we understand, uh, because, you know, we're, Rain and I are obviously very, very smart. We're experts in astrophysics as well. But we, you can understand why other people might be confused by your question. Not us, obviously. Well, because the, the, the distance between planets is so great, right? Yes. Like we're never going to be able to take a trip between here and like another galaxy. So we've got to figure something else out. We have to start this conversation by, by talking about, you know, the multiverse first, right? Because that's a, that's a topic that... Uh, Rain and I have discussed before on this show, this idea that our universe is not the only universe. There are other universes kind of layered upon ours. 
Uh, it's a very fun uh, part of, you know, the Marvel universe, uh, and it makes for great movies. There is literally zero scientific evidence, zero observable <laughs> evidence whatsoever for a multiverse. Fundamentally, the multiverse is more than anything else the answer to the question why is there life in our universe? Like why? Because things, you know, things had to work out in exactly the right way for us to be able to be here to say, is why is there life in the universe? And the answer that is often provided is that there are, you know, infinite number of universes and and, and an infinite number of universes in one of them, things things must have worked out perfectly so that we exist and we could answer this question. Obviously, that's not a, that's not what we would refer to as scientific evidence. Uh, but let's say there is a multiverse. Okay, let's just begin with there is a multiverse. How do how do we experience the other dimensions? Rain, you've been you've been to other dimensions. Reza, you are so good at talking out of your ass. Thank you. you. Have no idea what you're saying right <laughs> now. Thank you. Thank you. This is I have a degree in talking out of my ass, an advanced degree. <laughs> I think there was probably about 78% of our listening audience that was like, oh, yeah, he's making yeah. some really valuable and mm, interesting good. and good points yeah. there. Multiverse, hmm, sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Luke, we have no, that sounds great. We don't know, He's a he has a PhD in sociology and religious <laughs> studies, and I, I'm an actor on a sitcom. I don't know. Uh, do you have any ideas, Luke, about interdimensional travel or multiverses? Yeah, I've had these weird dreams. I'm, I'm thinking it might have something to do with string theory and the thought of the space between particles, right? That scientists still really don't know. Like, what is that space that scientists are still trying to figure out and splitting atoms? And I think if we can ever split an atom, then we'll probably open up the multiverse and <laughs> maybe... I will say this, that uh, I have heard it said that it's possible to maybe use black holes to travel between uh, universes. There is the whole problem of, you know, like going through a black hole. The going through the black hole part. <laughs> that, that's, that's still to be, to be Didn't solved. did Matthew McConaughey do it? He did. And it worked for him. So there you go. Uh, Luke, I wish we could have been of more help. Wait, I have, um, a, I have a question for Luke. Hold on, Rain. Hold okay. on. Let's, let's take this to the, to the next level. If you were able to go through a black hole and go into another dimension and meet the other Luke Weeks, would you kill that Luke Weeks and absorb his energy? I think he would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do, one thing I do agree on Luke is that we need to, in terms of science, uh, be thinking in much kind of broader terms rather than like a jet fuel propelled metal, you know, rocket ship uh -huh. going from earth to another planet, um, you know, at a, you know, a couple hundred thousand miles an hour, that's just not going to cut it. So we have to be right. looking at other options if we, if interstellar travel is uh, in our future. So, you know, good luck with that. Everyone out there listening who knows anything about that. Cause it's not me and Reza. <laughs> Or Luke. <laughs> or me. Thanks for being on the Thank show, you, Luke. Luke. Thanks for your kind Thank words. Thank you for having me. Let me tell you what bothers me about that conversation with Luke is that he revealed to all of our audiences that we're full of shit. Like all this time, we've been hiding that fact. I know. We had them fooled. So want more of Life's Big Questions? Find us on social, please, at Reza Aslan. 
and at Rain Wilson on Twitter at MetamilkPodcast and Instagram at MetaphysicalMilkshake. Let us know your life's big questions. And uh, like uh, the man said, we might explore them on a future episode. Remember to follow, rate, and review. Review us, please. Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts, please, and wherever else you get your goddamn podcasts. We, uh, we like some good reviews, and we would love to hear from you and connect with you on the old reviewing boards. Is that what they're called? Reviewing boards? I don't know what they're called. You've never been on the internet, have you? You can also subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel and watch us have these conversations in sterling 4K digital quality. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. See ya. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It's produced by Safa Samizadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. It is edited by Tyler Newbold and audio mixed by Justin Kyle. Original music is composed by Jeff Tang. You were a cruise ship comedian? It was kind of the early days of my career where it's, it's oh, cool. I'd go on a cruise, I'd go to these different cities and, you know, and um, and I didn't think about how then you're stuck. and With the people that didn't laugh at your jokes the night before, you were in the buffet line with them? Exactly. And I wasn't at the point where I could be helicoptered in and helicoptered out. <laughs> You weren't at the helicopter stage. No. You weren't in Kevin no. Hart territory. I was at the uh, the buffet phase of my career. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.